Well, Father, we just lift up this, this time, the rest of this evening, and uh, this service, and those that are watching. Lord, we thank you that every single service is orchestrated by you, that it's scripted by you, just like in our fellow um, brethren that are going with us into revival, that there is nothing that is done amiss, nothing's by accident. But Lord, everything is by your leadership. You're guiding us very methodically from one, one place to the next, understanding what our part is and how that we proceed further. We give you all the praise and glory. We can't do this of ourselves. You've not asked us to do this of ourselves, but you've partnered with us and brought us forward in this, this place where we're at, this spiritual place where we're at. We give you all the praise, Abba. We love you so much, Daddy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. Tonight's, I don't always have a title. I don't have to have a title to make it spiritual, but it helps for, you know, the YouTube and those guys because they log it in. And so, and Candy, uh, she usually asks me, but this is Daniel, the angels, and the war. Okay. Sounds like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, doesn't it? <laughs> and actually, we're going to talk about that just a little bit in just a little while, but, um, Turn with me to Daniel chapter 10 and just hold that place for a little bit. And uh, we're going to read the whole chapter in a little bit, but not now, not yet. So if you, if you turn there and you're a Bible reader during the service, uh, put a piece of paper there and close the Bible. If, cause so you won't be tempted to read while I'm te teaching. Or, okay. Amen. So if, you, you're, if you're finding it on your smart device, uh, cut it off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, I know it's no coincidence that uh, when I listen to both messages of Tim, I mean of uh, Jim and Gary, uh, Monday, Tuesday, today, a couple of them, that both of them this past Sunday uh, in different messages spoke of in regards to the, the book of Daniel and uh, his ministry in regards to revival. Jim actually brought out a prophetic prayer for revival that Daniel had prayed and Gary um, used Daniel as part of the illustration of helping us understand um, the wonderful balance that God was giving to us in regards to the two prophecies you know, that we received. Actually, we received three prophecies last Wednesday night, which were very, very powerful. And uh, so one of those, of course, was concerning healing and we're not going to go over that prophecy tonight uh, we're going to go over those first or those, those two prophecies concerning revival a little bit more um, but again I'll remind you that Sunday there was a um, testimony that I read and I won't go into the details of it again but it was an instantaneous healing uh, Noelia that is you know part that's been uh, part of Homer's and Rosie's 
family and part of our family as far as them being watching the church and watching, you know, watching the ministry for years. She gave that incredible instantaneous healing as she listened to that, that prophecy. Another man called me from Canada and said, I heard about the prophecy. Can you send it to me? And so I sent him the MP3 and also the PDF so that he was able to get them both because he was going through something uh, pretty severe as well. So we, we prayed for him over the phone, but he also wanted those, those prophecies. And so um, God is doing something incredible, not just here, but uh, in Dayton and in uh, Tulsa and among us. And it's just amazing to me the mind of Christ because as this thing comes down to a, a vortex, as it comes down to a place where we're really getting closer to where God wants us to be, it's just so orchestrated because we're praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit has it just very orchestrated and, and, and nothing is by chance. So I'm hearing these guys and I'm hearing myself and I'm hearing what uh, we're all saying together as the Holy Spirit leads us forward. So it's, uh, it's very, very powerful. Gary said some very, very powerful things in regards. He actually, um, in both services, Sunday morning and Sunday night, actually showed the videos of those prophecies and then uh, made some observations from those prophecies. Um, and then Sunday night, he actually showed the video concerning the healing prophecy and made some observations from it as well. But he mentioned some things in the book of Daniel that the Lord wants me to continue on. And uh, as I said, you know, the title tonight is Daniel, the Angels, and the War. And today, now we're going to have just a little bit of fun, just for a minute, okay, for a little while. So I'm going to go through some stuff here that um, I'm not saying is of its own right and self prophetic, but it has an observation for us as in regards to these prophetic things. So it brings it into a, a, a more of a kind of a, a reality for us. When I thought of that today, and I didn't just, it wasn't just a, a click of, you know, a combination of thoughts, but it was really something that I, I saw the Lord, I could hear the Lord in as, uh, as I was beginning to read again in Daniel and think about what the Lord was saying in, in, in uh, regards to those prophecies, and we'll go over them again just a little bit, concerning revival and war and warfare, and uh, I thought of something that related to it that I had just experienced most recently, as recently as, as Friday, this past Friday night. And uh, this past Friday night, um, my grandson, uh, which is, you know, he's my main man, Josiah Trey, and uh, he's nine years old, but he's about as big as me now. <laughs> so he's going to be, he's going to make a man's man, but He's, uh, he's my buddy along with all my grandkids. But um, traditionally speaking, we have, you know, we, uh, we have them over. We, well, for those that are watching, here's the deal. We have two daughters that have three kids each, and they're all like in pairs. There's two nine-year-olds, two soon shall be six, and then the last two are not in pairs, of course. One will be two this month and one is one not even one four months old a couple of days ago okay 
but we have them in sets. Like, so uh, one weekend we have uh, one daughter's three, and then the next weekend we'll have the other three, and they stay from Friday night till Saturday afternoon. So that's our family deal. So, um, but traditionally, Josiah, which is the oldest one of the bunch, uh, besides for a lot of other stuff that we do, you know, he and I will we'll, we'll, uh, take him out on Saturday. And uh, when I'm doing my workout, he'll go in there and start, you know, uh, having bench pressing and stuff at nine years old. So he can, I, I can tell you, he can out bench press probably any lady in here right now. Okay. <laughs> and he's, he's getting strong, man. I, he, he wants to, to wrestle with me. And I'm like, Joe, 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 come on, man. <laughs> and, uh, but it's fun. But here's the deal every Friday night just about we have our thing where we have movie night so Joe and I so we'll stay up we'll we'll stay up late and uh we know all of the Avenger movies front and back we can quote them I mean like we we ran out you know after you watch them like 20 times you're like okay and you know every quote like I can do this all day you know I mean you just say that back and forth I can do this all day so but we watch, you know, good, good stuff, and sort some of the Avenger movies are getting questionable now. That I, I don't know. So, um, but anyway, so Friday night, I said, Joe, have you ever watched uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the Chronicles of Narnia? He goes, Yeah, I think so. But he really, he if he had, it was way back, way back. So I said, We got to watch that. So. Uh, we started watching that, and um, so I'm just going to give you some observations. For those of you that have never watched that, um, I'm going to do a little, I'll, I'll tell you, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you, but it's been out so long, you should have, and if, you know, it doesn't matter now, I'm just going to spoil any, you know, so, um, so anyway, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this, and of course, he's a, he was a scholar in England, he's he was a professor. He wrote a lot of Christian literature, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, a lot of different things. He taught at uh, Oxford and Cambridge, I believe, as well. And um, so he wrote the what is now called the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, so he wrote this at, at a time when you know, Germany was, try, was trying to invade, uh, or right after, I guess, um, England, and, and there's a lot of stuff behind that. But um, I'll tell you this, here, here's, the, here's the neat, the family part for us. Joe is, you know, he's, he's pretty big, but our living room is set up that my, my lazy boy or whatever it is, it's, it's way back, and it's beside, there's one couch here beside that you know, my easy chair. Everybody knows that's Papa's chair, and I don't con contest it if it's somebody sitting in it, but that's Papa's chair. So they, so anyway, and then there's a couch way over across the living room. It's a pretty good-sized living room, and there's way across the living room next to the TV. So we start out with this movie, and uh, so I'll just tell you, you know, it has a lot of uh, what appears to be angels and, and demons in it and those kinds of things. And especially when you get to a part where um, the lion is being 
crucified, basically killed, there's these demons that are jeering, and they are just incredible. Well, if the, if the TV's over there and Joe's watching it, he's like, when it gets to that part, he's like, <laughs> and I keep looking over, and I said, Joe, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yes, sir, yeah, I'm okay. I said, do you, you want me to turn it? No, no, I'm okay. <laughs> so it's pretty graphic, but it's clean. I mean, there's no words or sex in it or anything like that, but it's graphic in that sense of the word. And uh, I noticed, here's the other funny part. I noticed as big as he is, though, and uh, as I said, he's my main squeeze, but he, uh, after it really got into the deep part of the, you know, the warfare and all that stuff, um, so we have to, you know, we have to have bathroom breaks, and then you have to have uh, refrigerator breaks, too, you know. I mean, I was starving. It had been two hours since dinner, two hours, and Candy had, you know, fixed some chicken, and cold chicken is in a food group of itself. I mean, it's, so, you know, after two hours, you're absolutely starving, and so we take bathroom breaks during movies, and then we take so I'll, either, you know, we'll go in there and fix shakes or chicken or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's just family night. But uh, during the break, he moves from over there <laughs> to right beside Papa <laughs> with his blanket. So he's okay, and he don't want me to turn it. <laughs> but it is, uh, I will say this. And I mean, I, I know that's cute, and, but uh, it's one of the best movies that I know concerning uh, the illustration of spiritual war- warfare in the spirit realm. So, I mean, honestly, it's one of the movies I could almost play on a Sunday night or something like that to show the church. Um, it's that, and I'll just go over the plot just for a moment because it has everything to do relating to chapter 10 that I'm talking about here because you're some of you that are religious are wondering when is he going to get to spiritual things okay (laughs) hey listen Jesus is not religious okay he's not Uh, when I do stuff I have to believe that the the recesses of my heart um, if you don't see I don't know how you see him but I don't see him religious I see him very righteous but I could see Jesus in there watching the Chronicles of Narnia with us. And if I'm in the kitchen, I'm like, hey, Lord, you want anything for, you know, from this chicken? Well, what's left? Well, you know, a wing or a thigh or, you know what, I've, bring me a wing, you know. But if you have a, like, straight-laced where you, you can't see him as a human in the sense that he came, You've got a twinge of religion in you that's got to be probably prayed out. Okay, hallelujah. Um, so the plot is, um, here, here's some observations. And as I said, we'll get to Daniel chapter 10 in just a minute. Um, most of you know this, and I'll be brief on all this because we, we are all going to go to some scripture. But four children or children slash kind of teenagers pass from a, uh, one realm to another realm. They don't go to another planet. They just pass from 
the this realm that we're in and it all goes into you know they are it's it's wartime their mother sends them away to a uncle's house or a professor's house and it's a big mansion and they they you know to string this real quick then they one of the the youngest one finds a wardrobe you know that's a place where they keep the clothes and and uh it's in a isolated room of the house upstairs and before it's over all of them pass through a a portal and the portal takes them into another realm and uh, the children then in that realm are recognized by those creatures that are in that realm as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve so you know right to start with that C.S. Lewis wrote it as an allegory of course um, to teach spiritual things um, the children encounter non-human creatures that live in a land called Narnia. Okay, so most of you are saying, yeah, I've seen that, I like it, or whatever. The creatures are, are divided between good and evil. The creatures should be understood as angelic beings. Okay, there's only four humans actually in the movie, and that's those four. But it, when you go in, uh, when it goes into these creatures... Uh, many of them look like humans, but they are not humans because you can tell right away that there's certain things about their, their, their bodies or whatever. Um, and somebody would say, that's so demonic, and that's so, uh, you know, um, mythology. And yes, C.S. Lewis did have an infatuation towards uh, mythology, but... Um, I wrote this down because I think it does justice for us to understand concerning um, the warfare that is in front of the church. Because there's two things about this warfare that you, that you have to understand. When you say warfare concerning the revival. One is when you go to Joel's chapter 2 and you understand the warfare that is in front of us. One is a warfare as a both everything is a militaristic Joel's army advancement but one is that we have to understand according to scripture and we could go into New Testament scripture Ephesians chapter 6 and understand that there is a militaristic regime out there spiritually speaking that wants to abate the church from ever accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish so part of this up-and-coming war is a militaristic march in the spirit that will destroy principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high place, and as, and as Colossians talks about dominions and mights, and all those are categories of demonic or spiritual um, dominion as in what, what once was created righteousness, and they have fallen away. But we have to understand that, and the other part of it, one is an advancement against these things, and when I say destroying them, we, we don't, they, they never are, uh, actually, they don't vanish, but we take dominion over them through the authority. The other is a militaristic march as in a gobbling, I will use a gobble, gobbling up like locusts, the land in front of us in a very powerful, positive sense that our evangelism has the strength 
of the Holy Spirit behind it, power and might. Blow, the, the Hebrew word is the shofar. The King James says, blow the trumpet in Zion. The Hebrew says, blow the shofar in Zion. Blow the shofar. It, it's come to this point. And the power of God is going to march. We're not only destroying demonic powers, but we're also just gobbling up the land in front of us by grace and glory. But uh, here's, the, here's the wonderful deal. This is why that he keeps, for years, he's been teaching us pray in the Holy Ghost meditate the word fast that's not just been for our edification it's been for our consecration to die to the flesh and the purging process so we've had all these 20 plus years but then the holy spirit has ratcheted down he's just took this thing and ratcheted it down in this last year and said i'm 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 i mean not just the old stuff that was the killer stuff now I've ratcheted it down to anything of indifference, anything that's less than the fullness of my love working through you that would impede this, anything that would be uh, something the enemy could lay his hand on in the future and going forward. Because I'm convinced of this, the authority that the Holy Spirit uses for the sword of the Spirit that was, that was the thing that Gary taught on. He was talking about the sword of the Spirit, and he differentiated between uh, what was the shield of the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit. And, and I can't go into that because that's not, my, that's not his lesson for us tonight. But real quickly, the sword of the Spirit is that pronounced rhema. It's, it's not necessarily the, the written word, but it's umbrellaed by the written word. It's covered by the written word. But it's, it's Jesus saying, it's like he, he would say, peace be still. He said to the, the, the demons in Legion, go. Just G-O. That was the rhema word. That was the, that was the sword of the Spirit. And many other things. He'd stretch forth thy hand. He'd stretch forth thy hand. To the cripple, stand up, walk. All these things were the sword of the Spirit. They were the, 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 the rhema word in the Spirit. But I am convinced of this, that the authority by which the Holy Spirit is able to bring forth an exact or bring forth a real move by that sword is all dependent on the power of the new nature inside of you of how much dominion that righteousness rules over you or how much you allow. In other words, a back, here, here's the bottom line. To put it real, real, real right on down to rubber meets the... A backslidden church won't speak the sword of the Spirit and get anything done. The Holy Spirit won't honor it. You, you can't walk distant from the life of the new nature in you. In other words, you can't be in darkness, be a carnal Christian, if there is such a thing, be mixed up and then believe that when you speak a word, he's going to follow that word. The angels hearken to the voice of his word. They don't just hearken to his word, they... Hearken to the voice of his word. In other words, you speaking his word. But I'll take it another level. 
The angels don't hearken to the voice of his word. In other words, even if you speak the word, they won't hearken to that if you're in darkness. You don't have the authority to speak that because you've alienated yourself from the life that is in you if you're not following the dictates of righteousness. They can't intermingle with darkness, even if the word is spoken. They'll follow the word no matter what. No, they won't. Because the word spoken has to be spoken. The authority of the word spoken. Satan, I call it, it's not dueling banjos. You've heard of dueling banjos? It's dueling swords. It was, they were both sword fighting. Satan was saying, it's written. Jesus saying, no, it's written. But there's two swords. Both of them are, both of them are, both of them are speaking the word, but one's the anointed sword. The anointed sword is only in the lips and in the mouth of those that are following the dictates of righteousness in the new nature. So you can curse the devil all you want to and tell him to get out of your life, get him out of your finances, get him out of your body. And if you're messing around in darkness, there's no authority there. And the angels won't do what you ask them to do. They won't even even follow the word. Glory be to God. Then went from teaching to preaching. (laughs) So, back to this. To someone that would, not that we have any arguments in here, but to someone that would say, oh, that's uh, mythology and those kinds of things. Well, okay. But listen to this. Just, this is just for fun, fun stuff. You don't have to turn there. Revelation 4, 5, concerning those creatures that you might, if you ever watch that in the Chronicles of Narnia. Revelation 4, 5 says this. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings. This is what John saw when he saw the vision that he, when he went to heaven in the book of Revelation. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there's, God is a spirit, and there's only you know, one spirit, but he's talking about angelic spirits here, those seven spirits that went to those seven churches in the book of Revelation. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne and around about. I'm kind of snickering because I'm thinking about what these guys must look like. There were four beasts, and these four beasts were full of eyes. I don't know what that looks like. you got eyes all over you. I'm thinking, I'd be looking at them and saying, oh, man, you're weird. And they're looking at me like, you're weird. You only got two eyes. I got a bunch of eyes. And the beast, the first beast was like a lion. Now, these aren't beasts like, I mean, these, these, these are angels created in a certain way. I mean, they're very intelligent because we find out that they speak. They speak. Uh, these aren't animals that can't speak. These are angels that are speaking, but they're created. He said the, the first beast was like a lion. Can you imagine? I don't know what this guy looks like. Maybe he's got arms and legs like we do, but he's got a head of a lion. Could be. And we're thinking, that's weird. And he's thinking, you're weird. I mean, (laughs) because God created him just like he did us. The second one had looked like a calf, he said. The second beast was like a calf. The third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Can you imagine? I don't know what, from the 
waist up, he's an eagle, you know, or from the, I don't know. It's, it's amazing. But it tells you that mythology was not that wrong. They got it, they got way out. But when these guys imagine these, these creatures, really angels are going to look, some of them are going to look just like human beings. Some of them are going to look really different. In the last verse, it says, And the four beasts had, each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And, and again, I don't know what that looks like. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So amazing. You've got a calf, an eagle, a lion. So I'll go through this real quick, and we'll, we'll read uh, this chapter 10. The kingdom of Narnia is divided between light and darkness. So if you ever watch this, but it's amazing the reality of this in regards to spiritual warfare. Uh, the, king of, the king of the kingdom is Aslan, the righteous, the lion, which is to be representative as Jesus, of course. The dark ruler is the, winter, is, uh, the, the, the ruler of the winter kingdom, which is the white witch. Um, who desires, and of course she's the epitome of Satan. She, she desires the whole kingdom of Narnia. The kingdom is waiting for one final war between good and evil, between Aslan and the wicked white witch. And there has, through the whole thing, they speak of a prophecy. The prophecy has foretold of a time when four humans would lead the creatures or the angel army against the evil creatures or the angel armies of the white witch in a final showdown in victory for the kingdom. So, you know, what was amazing to me as I watched this again, and Joe was coming up when he was saying, I think this means, I said, you man, that's, you're right, you're right. But the amazing part to me was this, is that uh, how that this man wrote this story, but these creatures, which are depicted obviously as angels, there's light and darkness, and you see all these thousands of, evil-looking creatures, and then you see these really, they're good, they're good creatures, but they're, they're weird-looking, just like the four beasts. And the prophecy was that the, four, that the humans would lead them, and they could not even engage this war until the humans spoke the authority and led them. At the end of it, it's really neat, Aslan the king the lion ordains them all as kings. They're all kings uh, or queens, kings and queens. And, and isn't, we've heard that prophecy, haven't we? How are, have I not ordained you as kings and priests in the earth? Hallelujah. The white witch and the demons, uh, Aslan actually gives his life. It's a pretty neat story. Um, that's the part where Joe was turning away, where all those demons were. He gives his life because he gives his life for a traitor. There's a, one of the kids betrays. And the prophecy is, you know, that he would give his life, and he gave his life, and he, he went into the camp of, the, uh, of all these demons and the white witch, and uh, they take him, they muzzle him, they shear him, take off his mane, and then they drive a stake through him, a spear, they kill him. But the prophecy is that if one gives his life for a traitor in true love or a son of Adam, um, 
he can't stay dead. Of course, we see all that. And, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not preaching all that tonight, giving you the story to say uh, that's an essence of edification to you. I'm telling you this, that those things, if you watch that and as you see that, you see a great similarity. And especially in the area of what we're going to read, as I said here in just a moment, out of chapter 10. The war begins as if, uh, and it seemed as if you watch this movie, that wickedness is winning. Then Aslan, who is resurrected with the daughters of Eve, go to a place uh, or a pri- uh, go to the, the white witch's palace or the prison house where all these previous good people or good good beings are now uh, they have become frozen as a result of uh, her dominion over them but Aslan once he's resurrected he breathes on them and they all come back to life then they which I guess you could say they they were the the church that was in bondage they join the regular church that's out there on the front lines see there's a war that's coming and now is and the Holy Spirit is telling us uh, that something has been released from heaven revival has been released from heaven but what we see here in just a moment that just because it's been released doesn't mean we still don't have to war for it it's been pronounced but as Daniel really saw these beings, and let's go to chapter 10. We're going to look at this for just a few moments. In chapter 10, Daniel is, and I'll tell you something about Daniel, just real brief. He is an incredible guy. If, there, if you read the whole book of Daniel, you never find that there's any blotch in his character. Of all the kings and all of the prophets most of them had some kind of little snippet of something. You, you cannot find, I've read it for years, I've went over and over D- Daniel, and you cannot find any fault in Daniel, which is incredible. He was incredible, but the essence of his life was prayer. He survives about three or four kings. He goes over as a young man. I was reading again on it today. And it's thought between 10 and 20 years old. Now, that's a big sparse of time, but he was a young man. By the time that he sees this vision, chapter 10, 11, and 12 are all part of one visitation from an angel. And they are all part of a vision that he sees along with this angel speaking to him. And it's really, it's really incredible vision because... Here you have an Old Testament man, and we won't get into this part of it tonight, but he is given information concerning not only his present tense time, but he's given information about what is going to happen to future generations all the way up to uh, the Antichrist coming and the abomination that maketh desolation. If you read in chapter 24 and 25 in in Matthew, Jesus spoke of the, this abomination. He's speaking ab- about Daniel. And he speak, if, if you want to, here's the thing, if you want to kind of keep praying in the Holy Ghost and try to not make anything of it, but you want to get some more like imputed downloads as you read the word concerning end time prophecy, 
<clears throat> part of your assignment would be read Daniel 10, 11, and 12 over and over again and pray in the Spirit because he gives a progression. He gives a progression of starting where he's at all the way through. And if you study, and I've, I've read on this, all those intermediate prophecies of 10, 11, and 12 um, have been fulfilled, like those kingdoms that he says, this will rise up, this angel is telling him, this kingdom will rise up, and this kingdom will, you know, will be put down, and blah, blah, blah. They have an exact uh, historical data that those kingdoms did just rise and fall, just exactly like you know, Daniel said they would, or the prophet, or the, the angel said they would. But Daniel prophesies all the way to the end, to, to our day and hour. But in the third, it says here in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. The thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, now he's speaking of himself, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. And now he speaks about fasting. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he did a, what they co commonly call a Daniel's fast. In other words, there were certain foods that he stayed away from and certain things that he didn't participate in. And in the, in the four and twentieth day of the first month, I was by uh, the side of the river, hit a kill. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like burl, and his face was as appearance of lightning, and his eyes as a lamp of fire. And he's speaking now of an angel standing there that's about to prophesy to him. And his arms and his feet like in color to the polished brass, and the multitude of his words were like the voice of, the, of a multitude, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quakening fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. So they couldn't see. It was kind of like Paul's vision. They couldn't exactly see what was going on, but they felt this incredible presence, so much so that they scurried away, whoever was with him at the time. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my cumbliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. In other words, he was just exasperated by the, it just blew him away. I mean, the fear and the trembling of this, this being standing in front of him. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face. In other words, he went into a trance, and my face towards the ground, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So he's kind of setting up now. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee, now, unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy, thy God, in other words, prayer and fasting, thy words were heard, and I'm come for thy words. But the prince 
Now he's speaking about spiritual things, and he's speaking about, that's why I was talking to you about, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and, and why I went into all that and how that, that's a visual for us to understand these things. That there, are, there is that spiritual realm. Because now this angel is telling him that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, twenty-one days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, we'll stop right there. This is not new to many of you, but some of you probably, Perhaps it is. The reality of the spiritual realm is as real or more real, when I say more real, than the realm that we live in. Because that realm created this realm. What praying in tongues does, it first changes you. Your change of authority actually brings into effect uh, the, the, the sword of the Spirit so that the authority that you dwell in, the word that you walk in, the authority, besides for the deep utterances, the deep utterances are praying intercessory prayers to where that you go into the deep groanings. Boy, that's, that's nuclear power there. That, that sets, uh, I've, there hasn't been multitudes of times that I've done that, but there's been many times that I've done that. And when I have, um, after the witness, I will, I will say this without going into teaching, without, once the witness of the victory comes, then I know it's all done, and it always proves itself out. Like, I've prayed through. But there's a realm that we cannot see. There's angels in this room. There's uh, spiritual beings that are in existence that probably stand way on out the outside of this property, wishing they could get in, but they can't. At times they have. At times we felt them. At times, uh, uh, and that has some, I don't want to put no blame on the preacher, and I don't want to put no blame on anybody, but when the intercessors get too occupied, when, when life overrides their assignment, uh, there can be gaps in the wall where there's invasions. Now, they can come and try us even when we're at our strongest, but I'm speaking about spiritual things here because when, when this angel, he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. He said, from the day that you begin to fast and pray, uh, I was sent. But when he said the prince, he's not talking about a physical man. He's talking about a spiritual being, which was a principality. It wasn't just a uh, low-level devil. It was a principality over the kingdom of Persia that came and st would engaged this. Now, why, uh, you know, why do we see all this? Why does he let us hear all this? Why do we have the writings on this? Because God wants us to understand the realms of the spirit and how it works and how revival is going to work and how that it's been declared unto us. Uh, these prophecies have, de been, have declared that revival has been released in heaven. It has been released in heaven, but we also understand that even as Daniel's prayer was answered from the first day, but 21 days later, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't in 20, until 21 days later that the actual thing showed up. That which was released in heaven didn't show up on earth until... A number of times you know weeks later now we have to understand that our pronouncement of revival there 
doesn't mean that we stop praying here. Uh, I wanted to go through much of, I can, I can see that I'm not going to have the time, but just understanding that he said in those prophecies concerning what has been released and that it can't be stopped, but he also said it's in the birth canal. It's still in the birth canal. In other words, you still have to do... Daniel didn't know on day three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten that God had signed off on it. It had been signed off on. It had been granted. But this angel comes to him and says, I was sent the first day, but this demonic spirit, which is a prince, withstood me. In other words, there was some kind of warfare in the spirit. People don't understand sometimes how, and we that are spiritual, we, we get a glimpse, how that um, so much can be accomplished by the wicked sometimes when they don't even make sense to the rational mind. Now, I'll tell you this, uh, whether you agree or not, the world, if you're spiritual, you agree, the world's going crazy. The, the world itself, the mindset, of the, they're, a functional, they're functionally insane. In other words, what they say, uh, they can carry on a wonderful conversation with you, but the, the liberal mindset concerning wanting to kill a baby six minutes after it's dead, I mean six minutes after it's birth, that's, that's insanity gone to seed. That's, that's, that's gone. But why will people still... Uh, go along with that and dismiss the horror of that and listen to insanity that is, and I'm, I'm not trying to be political because when Gary, you know, again, I'll remind you of that vision. Gary saw a vision. You remember I re repeated that Sunday? He saw a vision of a, uh, of a mother chasing her two-year-old across the lawn with a butcher knife, and he ran out the door in the vision to stop him. And in the vision, the vision again, two policemen stopped him and said, oh, no, you can't stop this. You have to understand in America, it's lawful for a mother to murder her child. Then a booming voice over, above him said this. Murder is not political. Murder is an issue of righteousness versus evil light versus darkness. But the reason why that any person can convince great multitudes, the reason why that the Antichrist will eventually draw in is because there's a principality that stands with them. Just as the Holy Spirit can anoint you, so principalities will anoint certain people and stand with them. That, that's the reason why they can influence, although rational minds would say, this is insanity, this doesn't work for me. Why would, de de devoid or divorced from the, a principality, this, many of these people, these liberals would make it nowhere. But they do have an anointing. They do have an anointing on them. And so this spirit said, this angel said, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, came and helped me 
and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So we, we get an insight to this chief angel called Michael. We've heard of him before. And I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face towards the ground and became dumb. And behold, one like of the similitude of the Son of Men touched my lips. Then I opened my eyes and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O Lord, by the vision of many sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. And how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my or the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me straightway there remain no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto you unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of uh, Grecia shall come. But I, shall, uh, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. And we're not going to go into 11, but 11 is just a continuation of the whole same thing. Also, I in the first year of Darius, the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. So this angel is continuing to speak unto him. And he's talking about past tense administrations of where Daniel was at. And he talked about his involvement with past kings. But the whole illustration there is to, to, to make some observations. Um, and I'll just read from my notes. A lot of times I've, you, you've seen lately, he doesn't give me any notes, but sometimes he wants me to read some of these things that he has written that he gives me to write down. So here's some observations. Daniel's, Daniel's prayer and fasting brought about a spiritual move. Now, this is simple Simon. Okay, we understand this, but it's something to reiterate to us. It wasn't until prayer and fasting that something was dislodged or something happened. You know, Pastor Dave used to say fasting doesn't move God because God's not stuck. It moves us. Ab absolutely true. But God wants us to come to a place where that the authority, see, behold, I give you power over all the works of the enemy. And Jesus said this, and he said, uh, as a result of, you know, Mark 16, he said, these, these signs shall follow my disciples. These were all pronouncements of his authority that he gave. But I'm going to tell you something. The authority is not blanketly, does not blanketly fall on the church just because you have the name Christian. Authority is exuded from the ones who follow him as a believer should follow him. It goes right back to what I was saying earlier. There's no authority in dismissing the dictates of the new nature. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of might, but the whole essence of authority starts with the new nature because it's how you 
follow that new nature is the by which the Holy Spirit can cause the sword of the Spirit spoken to have any authority. Do you, does that make, do you understand? That's, so Daniel fasted and prayed. Daniel's petition was answered from heaven's perspective from the first day. And so, as I said, Gary used, he didn't, he didn't read the chapter, but he talked about how that we, and he, he loved those prophecies. He believed of, straight from the Lord, but he also great, gave a great balance of saying, look, this is what, you know, and, and there's places here. I, I wanted to read this. I'm not going to be able to read this. I started, I started highlighting, and then I thought, I should just highlight the whole thing and just read it again. Just read it again. That, there, it all comes together. You know, it all comes together. Um, the delay in time between Daniel's petition and heaven's answer on the earth was, as we read, 21 days. But it was a time of intensive spiritual warfare. So the Holy God has said through those prophecies, it's, it's from, my, my, from my end, from up here, you got it. Granted, from our end down here, we're in a Daniel position. The in-between, see this whole thing is this. We've got to reconcile this. This whole last war and the harvest and the home going and everything, it's all a big war between Jesus, or God, and, and Satan. And we're sandwiched right in the middle. But he, I mean, we're precious to him. We're not pawns on a, on a board that he just, like, you know, you're expendable. I just want to show the devil. No, we're very precious to him. But the enemy wants the end. He wants, he wants the takeover. He wants to dislodge God, and he believes that. Somebody said, he knows he's whipped. No, he does, but he doesn't because he's insane. His light went out. Why would he fight so hard? He believes his own rhetoric. He believes his own lie. He has, Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning, not in his creation, but from the beginning of mankind's existence. Uh, he's, he's a crazed individual, and he believes that in some way he will dislodge God's authority, and somehow he will rule over creation. And... Uh, Somebody says, I, he, he can't believe that. Well, he does because that's why he continues to fight. But we are, we are the proof that God exists in the authority that we exact and execute over him. Amen? So observations of, to, to, from the prophecies, to be clear, the, the prophetic announcement that heaven has granted and released revival to the earth does not mean that intercession stops it it does mean that the war and it doesn't mean that the war is over it really means the war has just begun the shofar has begun now it's been granted from heaven what does that mean F time to fight like crazy now now's the time we're going to war we're going to destroy dismantle demonic powers and we're going to see a change in our nation hallelujah but the baby is still in the birth canal the war is not over it's just starting. And I, and I gave you two definitions on Joel's army, two, two ways to look at it. We're fighting demonic powers, but we're also um, harvesters. And our harvest has given us the license to do a lot of miracles, a lot of miracles. Revival on earth is still being birthed, so don't stop praying. Revival from heaven has been released. The hope of revival is not 
Now, here's something very important. This is how we have to, we really have to distinguish this. The hope of revival is not predicated on the election. It can't be. It can't be. Um, and he said in there, there was one, there was one place, it was just incredible. Um, how he said it. The, the revival changes the nation, not the change of the nation causes the revival. Okay? Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because some have linked revival with the assurance that President Trump is going to be reelected. Okay? I have a great hope in me. I've asked him a few times, and he's never told me. I've, ne I've never said, well, you tell me exactly, but... Uh, <laughs> I have a great hope. I've asked him to show me if he could. He, all he's ever given me was a great hope. Okay. Some have linked uh, the revival with the assurance of President Trump's reelection. I hope that they are right. I really do. Um, but I've never heard it directly. For, and I've never prophesied it directly. But I have the Holy Spirit has prophesied the revival. Now, the revival is going to change. Here's the thing. This is why we have to be careful. And I have a great hope. But if you link the election up and say that has to happen, and if it doesn't happen, then you're going to think the revival uh, may not happen either. Okay? There's been a lot of people that have prophesied that that will happen with the with the uh, with the revival, I pray that they are uh, prophesied correctly. But I'll say this: uh, remember in prophecy, and this is to any of you that are ever used in the future. Remember in prophecy, and I, I'm not I'm not calling myself have having arrived as having arrived. But I'll tell you this: in prophecy. It's always necessary that we're careful not to prophesy the desires of our heart. And that's easy to do. Unless you hold a great line of integrity and say, wait a minute. Because the natural soul can real easily dip into the spirit. There was, a, there was a man that all of you know, I still respect him, I'm, I still think he's a man, I still believe he's a man of God. He prophesied in the election, not the last election, but the election before, uh, he prophesied and he, before millions uh, because he has that kind of platform that Mitt Romney would win and beat Barack Obama. Well, he did not, Okay. Well, I don't throw those men out, but I can tell you this. Uh, hold prophets to make them accountable. Okay? Make all people accountable for their prophecies. In other words, if somebody prophesies, be careful what you prophesy because you can't say oops. There's no oops. It basically, it's you didn't hear from the Lord. You prophesied your heart. You wanted it to happen. I, I want it to happen too, but you can't prophesy your heart and make it happen. 
And then, you know, I know prophecy, now I'm just teaching as someone that has found grace to prophesy quite a bit. I want you to understand these things. But I know almost all prophecy is predicated on conditions. Second Chronicles 7.14, we understand if, if my people will humble themselves, if. But prophets, prophets that prophesy their heart, there's always a condition, but the condition is very attainable. In other words, if you, if you do what you're supposed to do, it's attainable. And God will do what he said he would do. Well, I believe that he's done. I believe that the church, by the grace of God, not has been perfected, but I believe that God has obtained enough authority to bring revival. Okay? So there's, I'm not saying all churches everywhere, but I'm saying that's why, and, and here's the thing, God has to start with repentance. Because he, he can't do anything for a backslidden church. That's why I really liked the return, because the whole essence was repentance. Let's pray. Let's ask God to forgive us of what we've allowed in our nation. That was the first thing. But the way that a lot of prophets will get around it after they say, oops, is that they'll say, well, if there had been just a little bit more prayer, or if there had been just a little bit more, it was all conditional. No, come on, man. Always be accountable for your prophecy. So be careful when you prophesy that you're not prophesying your heart. Okay? That's just a lesson from somebody that's used. Um, revival. And, and here's another thing, too. I really have a really strong hope. Really strong hope. I really do. I really believe. But I can tell you this. Also, um, the first church thrived with a government that was completely in opposition to them. So governmental uh, coincidence is not necessary for a revival to take place. It's applicable. It's nice. It's very nice. And I believe the Lord wants to do that. Um, so we're getting close to closing but um, I hope you've enjoyed just the simplicity and also the observations in the spirit because it's important for us to understand that it's been declared there and it's been released there, but in between is this sandwich of warfare that we have to continue. And the, the prime example is right here in front of us in, in Daniel chapter 10. Um, so, you know, I, I'm so thankful for our years of purging we haven't arrived, but my gosh, uh, can you say gosh in church? Uh, I have, and Homer has, and you know, we've taught the born again purge, purge, purge. You have to, because the authority of what the Holy Spirit can do in revival is how close you walk to the dictates of the new nature. That's what he moves on. So um, let's keep going forward. Amen. And let's, let's believe. I'm, I'm just believing for the, for the very, very best. Um, somebody said, well, I've heard from God and I know. Well, I, I'm not, okay, I won't contest that. And if you say that it's going to happen, glory be to God. Amen. In a good sense. Praise the Lord. I, I just, I haven't heard him. He, he's not, it's, it's not that he's not talking to me. He talks to me continually. But uh, he's, he's, and I think the reason why he's left out any part of, me saying anything about it is because he doesn't want any of our hearts to link 
up the election with revival. It stands totally separate. One, uh, the, the election doesn't predicate revival. We understand that. But revival will change the nation. Amen. Let's all stand. Love everybody out there. We praise God. We thank you for, Lord, for all the good things that you do in us and for all the things that you're doing in all those who seek your face worldwide. And, and Lord, we, just, we speak blessings over our family that's coming this weekend. And we say, Lord, give them traveling mercies. We bind any kind of principalities or powers that would, would try to hinder those things or cause anything less. And Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.